Great to see you all here this morning. Uh, if this is your very first time to connect, welcome. We're really pleased that you uh, chose to come and join us here this morning. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, if you are here for the very first time, whether you're visiting or uh, here checking us out just in town, um, we're actually in a series right now, and the series is called Masterpiece. We started last Sunday, so you've come at a really good time because you can uh, kind of catch up a little bit on what we talked about last week and then come right right into this series. So the, uh, the idea behind the series Masterpiece comes from a letter that a man by the name of Paul wrote to a church uh, in the New Testament city of Ephesus. It was around 60 AD, so this church is like brand new. It's only 30 years after the life and death of Jesus, so really it's just kind of full of these new followers of Jesus trying to figure things out, and a lot had changed since Jesus had walked the earth and died and risen again, and Paul, this prolific figure in the New Testament, he writes um, uh, a large part of the New Testament, and it consists of letters that he's writing to these different gatherings of believers, gatherings of followers of Jesus in these cities like Ephesus and Galatia and Corinth, where these new churches were being established. So as well as writing these wonderful letters to these people that we can still read today and learn from, um, sometimes there was kind of a theme that would find its way through the letter. And in the the letter of um, Ephesians, there's this theme that really kind of talks about identity. He was talking to the people in that early church about their identity, who they were, who they weren't. And uh, the great thing about the Bible, I find, is that even though it was written thousands of years ago by dozens of different authors who wrote different parts of it, we can still read it today, and I believe we can still find some amazing truth that can help us live our lives today. It can be great for teaching us how to be, be better people, how to live better lives, and ultimately how to discover God through Jesus, how to have a personal relationship with our Creator, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus. So as we look at this idea of identity, we started out last week, and, and we started out in Ephesians chapter 1, and we talked about the fact that you are a child of God. Paul says that. He talks about us being adopted sons and adopted daughters through Jesus into God's family. He said that we are his masterpiece. That when God looks at us, he's looking at the Mona Lisa or uh, the statue David or the, the art of the Sistine Chapel. That's who he sees in us, a work of art, a priceless work of art. And some of you may be sitting here this morning thinking, oh, I'm just not sure if that's who he sees in me. Because I know who I see when I look in the mirror, and I know what goes on in my head, and, and I struggle a little bit to believe that when God looks at me, he really sees a masterpiece. Well, I want to show you this morning that he really does. If I can prove it to you this morning, because I brought with me a masterpiece this morning, a priceless work of art. Now, I think that probably many of you have some of these priceless works of art in your home too. You do, lots of them. You may not realize it, but, but this is what I brought with me this morning, okay? This is a, a gingerbread man. He has googly eyes and macaroni for buttons. This is priceless. Now, I realize that an art expert probably wouldn't place much value on this, but you know what? One of my kids made this. I won't mention which one because we'll all be embarrassed, but one of my kids, he made this. When he was in kindergarten. And I found it yesterday in this trunk that we have in the basement where we keep all of the projects or a lot of the projects that our kids have made. Because to us, they're priceless. 
Look at some of the others I found. This, this work of art's right here. Happy Mother's Day. That was created by this wonderful artist right here on the front row. How about this one? This is my mum's favorite outfit. Well, obviously it is. I mean, any of you that know Casey, she wears that all the time. <laughs> ben, preschool. See, I bet if you're a mum or a dad or a grandparent this morning or an uncle or an aunt, you've probably got something like this somewhere in your house. Maybe, maybe you've got something that you made when you were a kid. Something from an art class or a woodwork shop. And, and when you look at it, if you were to give it to a, a, an art dealer or a collector, he'd say or she'd say, I'm sorry, but that is worthless. But you say, no, 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 this is priceless. It's a masterpiece because I made it. My son made it. My daughter made it. It has value to me. And that's why I believe that God, when he sees you, sees a masterpiece. I believe that God created every one of us. The Bible says that we are made in his image. And I think when he looks down, he's, he's like a proud father who looks at his, his, his children and sees them as masterpieces, the same way as we look at this and find value in it. God looks at us and finds value in us. So we can identify as being as children of God, sons and daughters of God, being masterpieces in his eyes. We talked about the fact that last week, despite the fact that we are masterpieces, that we're children of God, that sometimes we fail to see that identity. And instead, we, we tend to look at these labels that um, either we've kind of put upon ourselves or maybe others have put upon us. It starts in high school, doesn't it? With labels like jock, cheerleader, athlete, A-plus student. It goes on through life, businessman, wonderful wife. These labels that some of us, we put on because we strive to try and be what our label says. And sometimes we struggle a little bit, don't we? Because we fall short of where the label actually labels us. And maybe it's not things we're striving to try and be. Maybe some of these labels are labels that were put upon us by someone else. Labels that we're not proud of. Labels that we wish we could tear off, but we can't get away from that time when those words were spoken over us and, and that label was applied. And now we look down and we see words like disappointment or ugly or worthless or failure. These are labels that we're not proud of. And last week, I said, whatever your label is, if it's a jock or a cheerleader, worthless or failure, I want you to take that label off and I want you to tear it up. We tore up some labels last week because I want us all to understand that God says, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter one, we are his masterpiece. And we are not to find our identity in these labels that we place upon ourselves or that others place upon us. But as we continue on this morning, as we move into Ephesians chapter two now, we're gonna find out that as Paul continues to talk about this idea of identity and who we are, it doesn't just stay in the labels that we put upon ourselves. There are other things that form our identity, other things that determine who we are. These are common identifiers or markers, things that determine who we are, some, in fact, most of which we have no control over whatsoever. These are things like race or gender or socioeconomic class, religion, marital status, even age. 
As you look up on this list here on the screen, these are things that define who you are. So take a look at this list. Take a look at these markers and say, well, who am I? As I look through that list, who am I? We'll, we'll, we'll go through me, okay? So for race, I'm, I'm British-American. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but I, uh, I think it's similar to American. It's just I say garage correctly. Um, that's really the only big difference. But uh, that's not really my race, okay? That's uh, where I come from. Uh, my race would be white, okay? My gender would be male. Uh, my socioeconomic class would be middle class, I'm assuming. Uh, religion, I'm a follower of Jesus. My marital status, I'm married to Casey Jane. That was my green card all covered, so that was great. So, uh, and now we're in love, and that's worked out even better. I'm just kidding. I loved Casey. She was definitely uh, the one for me. So marital status, very happily married for 18 years now. Age, um, young. Well, up here I am, if you check on my driving license, probably middle-aged, but um, in here, still very young. That's who I am. That's what makes me me. That's what makes my identity. Many of those things I had no say in. It just happened to be where I was born, who I was born to, things like that. And as we look through this list, I want you to kind of ask yourself a couple of questions. Because Paul's going to address this issue, we're going to find out this morning, but this idea of these identity markers, when you look at this list, which one would you say you're most aware of on a daily basis? Is there one of these markers that kind of is more prevalent in your life than another? Maybe there's one of them that you're least aware of. You just don't even think about that aspect of who you are. Here's a, a, a challenging question for all of us. Is there a part of your identity, one of these things, that, that garners you more privilege than others because of a certain part of your identity? You know, no one I was going to speak on this this week, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this and studying this and, and reading through what Paul's saying to the Ephesians. I had a hard time with that last question about the idea of which one affects us most, maybe even gives us some sort of privilege. Because the truth is that for me, my identity marker means that I'm white, I'm male, I'm middle class. And whether I like it or not, these markers, they give me a subtle and sometimes not so subtle opportunity that I've done nothing to deserve. But as I started to study and look statistically around our country right now, there are different situations for people in different areas of these identifying markers. For example, I'm male. I found out that in 2014, female full-time workers make um, only 79 cents for every dollar earned by men. I discovered that um, as far as socioeconomically goes, only 3% of students at the 146 most selective public and private colleges in America are from the bottom socioeconomic quartile. That means there's a huge, almost a quarter of the United States that this has nothing, and I was looking at this, this has nothing to do with how smart they are or aren't. It's just because of their socioeconomic status that they find they're not able to go to college. I discovered this week that if you're African-American, then on average, you'll earn 40% less income statistically across the board than somebody who's white. I discovered that in Europe, they did a survey, and 35% of the people they spoke to felt that there was unfair treatment directed towards them because of their age. It was actually higher than gender and ethnicity complaints. 
So here I am, somebody who is white, who is male, the age I'm at, the socioeconomic class I'm at, and I have these identifying markers that, whether I like to admit it or not, have put me in a different position. And this can cause a problem, can't it? These identity markers that we have no control of, the color of our skin, the, uh, the, the family to which we were born, they can actually cause us not only a different livelihood, but they can cause division. You see, we're going to discover here shortly as we look at Ephesians and what Paul was saying to the people of the church of Ephesus, that this division, this is nothing new. This is something they were dealing with 2,000 years ago. And it's not just identity markers of race or gender. It can be religion. It can be age. It can be whether you like the Cubs or Cardinals. There's always something, isn't there, that will, you know, force division and cause, you know, one extreme or the other. So let's have a look at what it was in Paul's context. Because Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, this dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians 2.14 says that there was a dividing wall of hostility in the church in Ephesus. And we're going to look at what that wall was. And then as we finish off this morning, we're going to look at some of the walls in our lives that we have the power to destroy. So, little history lesson here. This city in Ephesus, like I say, Paul's writing this letter about 60 years AD, so about 30 years after the life and death of Jesus. It's a brand new church. They're trying to figure out who they are as followers of Jesus. But um, they're in a city where there is a culture of Jewish people that for hundreds of years have been, have been set apart as God's chosen people. And then Jesus comes along and he changes everything. He levels the playing field. Now through Jesus, God was accessible to Jews and Gentiles. You see, as Paul writes, the greatest divide in his context concerns the identity marker of race, whether you were Jewish or Gentile. In fact, Paul, as he's writing this letter, Paul himself a Jew, he's writing from a prison cell. And the reason he's writing from a prison cell is because he's been in prison for taking a Gentile with him into the temple. He took a Gentile to a place in the temple that they were forbidden to go. And as a result, he was put in prison. But Paul is explaining, listen, those rules, that was before Jesus. Jesus came now and and the level, the field has been leveled. Through a relationship with Jesus, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, you now have access to your heavenly father, to God. So Paul is writing, he's he's tackling this this divide that was was still existing. Even though these new followers of Jesus were together as one, there was still this cultural kind of um, just difficulty, this, this struggle between the Jews and the Gentiles. So listen to what Paul writes. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. So Paul's kind of dressing down the Gentiles a little bit and saying, hey, listen, I know you guys have access to Jesus now, access to God, but don't forget, 
It wasn't that long ago that you were still far from God, unlike the Jewish people who had this covenant with God that was sealed by circumcision. You were still what was known as these uncircumcised heathens. And just when it looks like Paul might be taking the side of the Jew here, he flips it up and he challenges the Jews as well. He reminds them, hey, listen, don't keep going on about this this circumcision thing. This doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of your standing with God, because after all, that was something that was done by man. God cares about your heart. Not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. You see, up till then, the Jewish people, they'd taken a tremendous amount of pride in the fact that there was this physical distinctive that separated them from the rest of the world. Not only had God given them the the privilege of being his chosen people, he also then set them apart with this kind of marking of circumcision. That's what set them apart from all the others. Now, I was thinking about this, and I know that when we get to heaven, all of us have got these questions we're, we're going to ask God, but I have to believe that every male Jew from Bible times probably just has one question. And that's, seriously, God? That was the sign? We couldn't have had like a, an earring, a tattoo maybe, a special handshake? What's up with that circumcision thing? Because we're talking priests here with rocks and, you know, sharp rocks. I mean, that was biblical time circumcision. But you see, these Jewish people, they wore this like a badge of honor. It was the the way they would kind of look down on people as second-class citizens who weren't circumcised. So in one swoop here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is saying, Listen, Gentiles, Jewish people, don't forget that you were once both far from God in the context of your heart. He goes on to say, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and its regulations. And he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from these two groups. See, Paul is tackling head on here in this church what he calls the wall of hostility. He's explaining that Jesus came to bring peace between these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. But not just these two groups. He's saying, listen, Jesus came to bring peace between all groups that may find themselves separated by a particular identity marker. Do you know, in Paul's time, in New Testament times, uh, women were considered second-class citizens. In fact, they were, they were pretty much on par with servants or slaves of those days. When you read the letters that Paul wrote, he was a big advocate for women to hold a higher role for them to be respected and to have value. He saw that separation. He saw the fact that Jesus came, whether it was Jews or Gentiles, male or female, he came to bring that unity, to challenge the unity that Jesus brought. So I want to ask the question of us here this morning. As Paul is tackling this this issue here in Ephesians chapter 2 between Jews and Gentiles, we could leave here today and go, wow, that's fascinating. I didn't realize that. That's really interesting. That would be great. But what I'd like to do is is maybe send you away here this morning and say, now, how can I learn from this? 
Is there something God wants to teach me personally about this idea? Is there a way I could be living my life differently? I'm guessing that if we were to go around the room this morning, we probably wouldn't find many of you struggling still with the issue in your lives of the conflict between Jews and Gentiles. That probably doesn't affect many people here this morning. But I think there are still areas of our life, maybe areas of separation, walls that are built up because of some identifying markers of who we are. Things that we may have had no control of, but they are who we are. So if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, what should your response be to this message? What's the next step for you? I think there are three things we can do here this morning. I'm going to make them real easy for you. They all begin with the letter A, so you'll still remember, hopefully, by tomorrow morning. That's a a big win for me. Um, Three things that all begin with the letter A. The first is to acknowledge. To acknowledge. Maybe for some of us it's just saying, you know what? I acknowledge that I'm a part of a world that divides that separates. I'm a part of a world where, where, where we, we're caught up in this idea that we're trying to one-up one another for our own advantage. It's a competitive world in which I live. And if I'm not careful, I acknowledge that I, I'm guilty. I can actually use some of those identity markers to my own benefit. Some of those things in my identity, I can use them to my advantage. But it's hard not to because I'm a part of this world where so many walls exist. There was a poet, Robert Frost, I'm sure you've heard of him. He wrote a poem called Mending Wall. It's actually quite a humorous poem that he wrote 100 years or so ago. And he talks about these two neighbors that had a wall that divided their properties. And every year, these two neighbors would meet up at the wall because over the course of the last year, weather and hunters and people moving across their properties would damage the wall and some of the stones and the boulders would fall and and they'd meet at this wall together as friends and neighbors to reassemble the wall. Robert Frost kind of points out humorously, you know, what if one of the neighbors was to challenge the idea of why the wall was even there in the first place? And this conversation develops between these two neighbors. And uh, he says, you know, neighbor, I'm wondering about this wall. It's been years since either of us have had cows or, or any animals that would need some sort of lines or, or fields in which to keep them in. In fact, right now, you have pine trees and I have apple trees. And I'm pretty sure my apple trees are never going to wander into your um, yard and try and consume your pine cones. So why do we still need this wall between us? His neighbor's response is, good fences make good neighbors. And that's kind of the punchline of the poem. Good fences make good neighbors. That idea that um, we're a part of this culture, this society, where we want to put up these fences. We want to have these dividing lines. And Paul challenges that idea. Paul, through, through God, he says, listen, in verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. You're also members of his household. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, those, those markers that identify you, race, gender, socioeconomic standing, age, they are real and they exist, but they need to become secondary markers in your lives. You've got to try and work to not be identified by those markers, but instead to be identified by this new marker. 
The idea that I'm not first black or white, male or female, rich or poor, young or old. I am first and foremost a child of God. I am a member of God's family. That's where I find my identity. Not in the color of my skin, my age, my socioeconomic standing, but in the fact that I am a child of God. Paul actually goes to build on this later on in another letter he writes in Galatians 3.28. He's talking to the, the followers of Jesus in that city. He says, listen, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this morning, maybe the first step for us is that we need to acknowledge that we've allowed that secondary marker of our identity to define us. Maybe even influence the way we view others. Instead of that primary marker being the fact that we are children of God, we are a part of God's family, be the thing that we identify with the most. That's who we are. Once we've acknowledged that, and for some it may be tough to kind of acknowledge that, the second thing is we need to ask. I think we need to, um, in a time of prayer or talking to God this week, whether it's driving to work or sitting in the morning over a cup of coffee, whenever you kind of have those alone moments, just you and God, just saying, God, do you see this in me? Is this something that I need to um, be looking at in my life? Maybe asking to show any way that we may have allowed these walls to be built up in our lives or even in just our attitudes. Have I allowed my identity of race or sex or age or socioeconomic standing to affect the way I view others? Have I maybe found myself a little bit like the way the Jews looked down at the Gentiles? Because of my identity, have I caused that to, to maybe cause me to look in a negative way to other people? Am I in a position of power? If you are, maybe you need to ask God to use your power to help others, to listen to those who maybe aren't in the same position as you, the marginalized, and maybe even be a voice. Or have I experienced hurt or rejection the way the Gentiles may have felt? Have you experienced injustice? Because of how you look, where you were born, your gender, maybe even your marital status. Maybe the ask for you is to ask God, how can I help others? How can I, my story be a call to change? How can I demonstrate forgiveness or the power to overcome? Maybe the ask for all of us is, God, how can I be a part of your reconciliation process? Because listen to what Paul says here as he continues to write to the Ephesians. He's talking about Jesus and his plan. He said, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, the, the family of Christ, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. So is there a way that I can help Jesus accomplish this plan in the world? I think as well as acknowledging, we may need to ask, say, God, how can I be a part of this? And then here's probably the toughest one for all of us, because as well as um, acknowledging and as well as asking, I think we need to be ready to act. 
If we're going to acknowledge, if we're going to ask, there may be an opportunity presents itself for us to act. Maybe God will show you areas of your life where you can be part of Jesus' reconciliation peace plan. Now, this is going to be different for every one of us. It's going to play out in many different ways. But as I was working on my message this week, I was so excited to get an email from a, um, a, one of our people here at Connect who's helping to, to head up a, a new group here at Connect. Part of our Connect Cares group, there's a lady by the name of Megan, and she's um, partnered with an organization here in town called Threads Hope and Love. Now, if you're not familiar with them, Threads Hope and Love, um, they're here in Washington. They receive donations of clothing and toiletries and that kind of thing. And they exist to help people in need. They exist to give out these clothes for free, and they give out toiletries, and they give out different supplies to families who socioeconomically may be in a different place than, than many of us this morning. It may be no fault of their own, just by the fact that they were born where they were born or the family that they were born into. They find themselves struggling to make ends meet. Maybe they weren't always there. Maybe socioeconomically they were in a place where things were great, but through a loss of job or through sickness or through a change in marriage, whatever it may be, now suddenly they find themselves on hard times. And this wonderful organization, Threads Hope and Love, their prime purpose is to help those families. I learned that in the last three months they've served 1,300 unique families. Most were, were Washington families, but there were also dozens and dozens of other families from, from surrounding communities who came in. And on Wednesday night of this week, some, some volunteers, some people from Connect, they went and they took a little visit. And they, they took a little look around because here at Connect, under Megan's leadership and under Connect Cares, their goal is that they're going to start once a month um, partnering with Connect Church so that people from Connect can come in and help Threads. It'll be everything from sorting clothes to helping to organize things. But, but what it'll do is it'll make a connection between two different groups of people. Threads serves a community of people who, who may be struggling financially. And here at this meeting and some of the other volunteers who will be a part of it, maybe they're not struggling financially, but they want to find a way to give back, to connect with a group that maybe they don't connect with. Because if you think about it, think about it in the context of what Paul's talking about and these walls of hostility. If we're completely honest with ourselves, there's a possibility that some of these people who go to threads on a regular basis, maybe they look on to people who, who are doing better financially and they say, you know what, they don't care. They don't care about me. All they care about is themselves and their cars and their vacations. But isn't it true that in the same way, some of those people who, who maybe are doing well financially, they can kind of look down at those people who are struggling and say, you know what, if they would just get a job, or if they would just be more responsible with their money, and whatever it may be, it kind of creates that, that, that wall, that division, a similar kind of problem to what Paul was addressing between the Jews and the Gentiles. But on Wednesday night when these volunteers went, I was looking at these pictures thinking, this is awesome. Because this is an example of exactly what Paul's talking about. And, and it may be uh, very different in your context, but here's one idea of how on a socioeconomic idea, people can break down some of those walls of hostility. 
these wonderful volunteers who showed up there. And you know, if you weren't able to be there and you'd like to know more about it through the Connect Church app or through the Connect Point, you can be a part of that once a month gathering to, to serve this local organization. But I just felt like these people were able to see themselves as God's child and see others as God's child and realize that even though they may find themselves in a different place socioeconomically, that we're all God's children. We're all a part of God's family. When we understand that and when we recognize that, I think it causes us to live our lives differently. When we discover our identity and discover that really those those primary markers, they should actually be secondary markers, being a member of God's family first and foremost. As I was preparing this message, I came across this story. It was a story from back in the 60s when the civil rights movement was kind of at its peak. And the story is told of a, a school down south somewhere where um, it was the fall and it was a grade school and school was starting back up. And for the very first time at this grade school in the south, they were bringing integration into this school. So for the very first time, there would be white children and there would be black children attending this school together. And the story was told of this little girl. She was a, a little white girl, white family, starting kindergarten for the very first time. And when her mum dropped her off at school that day, it was just such a crazy scene. There were people shouting, people protesting. There were troops there and National Guard escorting kids in and out of buildings. It was just a, a, a crazy scene. This mum dropped off her little girl and in she went to school. And then she came home that day and she came in and her mum said, well, how was it? Mom, it was crazy. There was people everywhere. There was people shouting. It was actually pretty scary. Her mom said, what happened? She goes, well, I sat down and a little black girl came and she sat on the chair next to me. And her mom, who had been raised with a very racist viewpoint on life, said, oh, yeah, what did you do? This little girl says, Mom, I just reached across and I held her hands. We were both so scared that we held hands all day long. You know, about everyone you can read on this topic of breaking down these walls that divide will tell you the only real path to change is to join hands, is to build a friendship with someone who is not like you, someone who seems very different from you. This, was, this, this might seem difficult for some of us, but you know, Paul's writing to a, a culture here in Ephesus of Jews and Gentiles who had hundreds of years of history of animosity against one another. And he's saying, listen. Thanks to Jesus, you both have access to a relationship with God. You are all children of God. You are all part of God's family. You are no longer Jews, no longer Gentiles, but you are children of God. Those things that form your identity markers, they're now secondary because your primary identity marker is that you're a child of God. You know, my hope and prayer over these last few minutes is that God's been nudging you, maybe even bringing somebody or a situation to mind, someone who up to now you'd never even thought about trying to get to know, or maybe you have thought about, but before now had never really had that motivation to, to take the first step. 
But maybe there's a way in your life that God will open a door for you to, to break down some walls of hostility. To bring some connection between you and someone else who, who just because of their age or their gender or the color of their skin, or their socioeconomic standing. You may be very different, but because of God, you are all members of God's family. Would you take some time this week to acknowledge, to ask, and if God responds and opens the door, to act? Let's pray. Father, we have no idea what it must have been like to live in a culture where there was that tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. But Lord, as we look at that list on the screen, I know that there are different things that cause tension in our lives, Lord. And I just believe, Lord, as followers of Jesus, that Paul, one of the things he was challenged to do in this particular portion of Ephesians was to look at who we are, look at our identity and realize that Not only should we not conform to the labels that are upon our lives, but we should see ourselves as children of God. But we should also embrace some parts of our identity, parts of our identity that we have no control of, and not use those as things that would build walls, but instead to to destroy those walls of hostility by realizing that those parts of who we are, they are secondary markers. Our primary marker is that we are children of God, and part of God's family. Help us to fully understand what that looks like this week and help us to live that out in Jesus' name. Amen.